So you and I are, dri- are playing a game of chicken in the, on the road. We're driving towards each other at high speed. The, name of, the aim of this ridiculous game is that whoever swerves first loses. You see me whip off my steering wheel and throw it out of the window. Guess who's going to swerve first? Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, where I discuss insurance innovation. Now, you know, um, I am super excited about the discussion that I'm having here today, and that discussion is with Daniel Schreiber, the Chief Executive Officer of Lemonade. You know, uh, first and foremost, I want to say congratulations to Lemonade. You know, they uh, just got a $120 million investment that was led by SoftBank. Um, And I'm very excited about that investment. And the reason behind that is because when you think about all of the different things that's occurring in our insurance industry, with all of the different changes, I think this is really going to help to open up the floodgates for investment into the industry, um, you know, for other organizations that are hoping to change the way that we um, do things in this industry and innovate to really provide more value out to the policyholders and also some of the incumbents in this space. So, you know, um, so that investment in Lemonade has made me really excited about what's to come for the future of insurance and the future of innovation in insurance. Now, you know, I do want to thank our sponsor of this episode of the podcast, and that's Vortex Legal. Innovation in the insurance field is exciting, and Vortex Legal is a unique and proven solution to help improve a company's loss ratio by substantially reducing legal expenses. You know, their nationwide network of local attorneys attend the voluminous and routine and predictable hearings for a flat rate, not an hourly rate. So Vortex Legal solution works with both staff counsel offices as well as outside law firms they've saved many carriers millions of dollars so if you want to learn more just contact jonathan broder at 954-473-2648 or visit vortexlegal.com you know now today i'm very excited to be speaking with daniel schreiber the chief executive officer of lemonade now lemonade is a licensed insurance carrier offering homeowners and renters insurance powered by artificial intelligence and behavioral economics. Lemonade replaces brokers and bureaucracy with bots and machine learning. You know, Daniel, thanks for joining me here today on the podcast. Great to be with you. Thank you. So, Daniel, so, so there's so many things that I, w- I want to talk to you about here today, you know, but first, you know, let's talk about you. You know, you've been an executive in several industries, but you started out as an attorney. You know, so talk to me about your path to running one of the most coveted insurance startups in the industry. Sure. So, yeah, I, I describe myself as a recovering attorney. Um, as the kind of remnants of an English accent will betray, I, I was brought up in, in London and I studied law there and became an attorney. But I didn't last in the field for long. And nine months after being a qualified lawyer, more or less, I started my first technology startup. And that was in 1997, so 20 years ago. So while you know I do have a legal background and it continues to serve me well, really my career has been almost um, consistently other than this first couple of years um, in the tech sector. That's really interesting. You know, as as I think about Lemonade, you know, Lemonade, um, an insurance company, but you know, as you mentioned and as we just talked about, you know, you have a, a legal background and a tech background. So you know, what was so compelling about insurance that made you take the leap to innovate this industry? It was very compelling, but it wasn't very obvious. Um, so 
both myself and my co-founder, Shai, were looking at different industries and thinking kind of what could we do that would be impactful and, and meaningful for, for our next um, entrepreneurial effort. And we went through different sectors. I, I spent quite a while looking in the medical world and how AI and data sets are, are impacting that world. And as I was going from sector to sector, in what in retrospect sounds like a fairly organized kind of uh, um, survey of the in different industries, at the time it felt like a meandering journey. When I encountered insurance, really by happenstance, um, I was struck by it. And what struck me by insurance was um, three things. One is just the size of the industry. You know, both entrepreneurs and and the investors who back us are always looking at large opportunities. And I hardly need to tell you that insurance is absolutely vast, whether as a percentage of GDP or household penetration, which is as close to universal as matters, or the fact that the industry measures itself in trillions and not in billions. So by any measure, a huge playground for innovation. And then the second one was more striking still, which was that it is at first approximation, unspoiled by innovation. You know, the, the dominant brands today are the same names that dominated 100 years ago, um, which is kind of remarkable. And you can't say that about many sectors. And they operate pretty much the same business model and the same distribution model. And there has been changes around the edges, but nothing very dramatic. And that was really enticing. I mean, the idea that you have such a huge industry that has undergone so little by way of significant change. There's been these massive waves of technological upheaval and they've left this sector relatively unscathed. That was really enticing. And then the third element was realizing how unloved it was. Um, it's difficult to innovate, even in a huge industry and one that's unchanged. If everyone's happy with it, that's a tough road to, to go down. But when you realize how disliked insurance is, how, how, how universally and I, I think in many ways unreasonably disliked it is, those three coming together, huge, unchanged and unloved, was too much to pass up on. Yeah, you know, I, I think that makes a, a lot of sense in terms of the uh, some of the reasons why you wanted to come into this industry and innovate this industry, and, and that's absolutely the case. You know, as I as I look, you know, uh, across the uh, the past history of the insurance industry, uh, it's been a little bit challenging for some of the incumbents to really uh, bring in true and different innovations because, you know, they haven't really bought others from the outside to look in and see where those opportunities to really innovate the value chain is. You know, so uh, so just just thinking about Lemonade, and for those that aren't familiar with what you all are doing, you know, if you don't mind, just tell me, you know, what is Lemonade and the concept behind the original P2P model you all built the company on? Sure. So like you said in the intro, we do think of ourselves as being built on two pillars, um, behavioral economics um, and um, artificial intelligence. And they are both pretty dramatic and, and transformative, and they interplay with each other in, in ways that maybe we'll have a chance to, to tease out. So Lemonade is a consumer-facing brand. We're a technology company, but as you said earlier, we are also a fully licensed, kind of vertically integrated, full-stack insurance company. So we're not writing on anybody else's paper. We're not a broker. We do all the underwriting, all the regulatory relations, the capital reserving, all of that we do ourselves. And that gives us tremendous independence to think about things differently and not to be beholden to the way things have been done for the last hundred years, or several hundred years. Um, and what we did is took a run first at the business model, and this is where the behavioral economics comes in. As outsiders to the industry, we were fascinating by, fascinated by the pervasive notions that insurance is a necessary evil, when it really is at its core a social good, but it's not so perceived. 
And we just ha- had to ask the question, you know, why do people not like insurance? Why do they feel so entitled to embellish their claims? Why is it such an adversarial relationship? Why are the brands that dominate not loved? These, these are some of the least loved sectors, least uh, brands, least trusted brands. And to simplify things down, the conclusion we came to is that the industry has at its very core a fundamental conflict of interest. And we're big believers in game theory. If there's a game that um, has certain dynamics to it, you can predict outcomes. And in insurance, part of the way insurance companies make money is through underwriting profit, which means that when you're making a claim of me, you're claiming $1,000 of me, if I can avoid paying you $1,000, you're $1,000 poorer, I'm $1,000 richer. It's a zero-sum game. It's a win-lose value proposition. And that's an incredibly difficult foundation, business model foundation upon which to build a trusting, uh, um, uh, a lovable relationship. So we changed the business model. Um, and while we are an insurance company, we come from much more of a Silicon Valley kind of perspective, which says, let's think of ourselves as a tech platform. We'll, we'll provide insurance services. We'll take a flat fee for those services. So we take 20%, you pay us $1,000. 20% of that will come to us. Whether you make a claim or don't make a claim, that's what we're going to make. And the way we work that out is by using a, a fairly novel reinsurance construct so that at the, once a year, we will look and see, okay, of those $800 that you paid us that we're not keeping, how much of that has gone to paying claims? And of course, you know, we, we aggregate you with others that we look on, on average. How much of that has gone to paying claims? And if 60 of it has gone to paying claims, then there's $20, $200 left over, 600, I'm, I'm confusing my, my, my uh, um, numbers here, but if, if 60% of it has gone to paying claims, then there's 20% left over, we give that to a charity of your choosing. And if there's insufficient money, then the reinsurance kicks in. But either way, our, either way, our 20% is insulated and that drives a few things. One is it means that I'm much less in a conflicted relationship with you, right? Because whether or not you make a claim, I'm not going to keep that money. And if you claim excessively, I'm not going to pay that money. The reinsurer will. And if you claim carefully, that money will go to a good cause that both you and I care about. And hopefully it brings out the best in you as well, because today when you make a claim, you feel entitled to embellish your claim. You've got this deep-seated sense that this isn't a level playing field, that you've got to overclaim in order to make it worth your while that you're in an adversarial relationship with a nameless faceless behemoth and as soon as i remind you hey no if you claim excessively you may actually be hurting your local church your local synagogue your kid's school that brings out the best in you as well so we're trying to create a much more trusting relationship so that's the whole behavioral economics piece there's a lot more to it but that's one piece and then the second element of this is building a technology not on a human substrate but on a computer data digital substrate and this is a change that is pretty fundamental. It's not really a change in degree. It's a change in kind. When you build that kind of company, everything flows differently. So yeah, we, we can, you can buy insurance in an app. You can do it in seconds. You can self-serve. You can add scheduled items. You can talk to bots and get policies done in no time and claims paid in no time, literally in seconds. And that makes for uh, something pretty transformative, which is you collapse the cost structure but you also delight consumers because consumers don't want to be dealing with people and paperwork and faxes. They want to be dealing with you know, the, the Amazon experience, the Uber experience of let me just type it in and get what I need and get on with my day. But those two elements together really create for make for a very, very different user experience, even though the underlying 
basic insurance product has a lot of commonality with with other insurance products. You know, I, and, and Daniel, I think that's I think that's very valid, right? You know, as I think about the success of Lemonade, you know, in addition to the the technical brilliance that you guys have pulled together with leveraging AI and leveraging machine learning, and I do want to get a little bit in, into that in, uh, in in a little while. Um, but you know, I I also see what you all have done with the behavioral sciences and the behavioral economics piece into tapping into customer perception of this industry. You know, you know, you've been able to do something that incumbents only dream of being able to do in terms of being uh, able to change what the policyholders think and how they view insurance, you know. Um, so you all have uh, brought on Dan Airely, you know, a, a really well-known um, uh, behavioral uh, scientist as your chief behavioral officer. So, you know, when you think about behavioral science, you know, not only to drive the way that uh, customer behavior is done, but have you all used behavioral science and behavioral economics as well to, to drive the perception of how policyholders would view insurance? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So Dan was with us from day one. He, he was one of the founding team members. And yeah, computer science is a very core element of what we're doing, but social sciences are as well. Um, and I don't think you can do the one without the other. I, I really don't. I think that the way we perceive insurance um, is rooted in things like conflicts of interest, like um, opacity, uh, you know, the asymmetry of information. People feel that they don't really understand what the policy is. It's all complicated. They never know if it's covered or not. They make a claim they're told it's not covered, but they never understood that in advance. There's a lot of things here that um, can pollute a relationship. Dan says, and you know, he, he spent 10 years researching this stuff. He wrote a book called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And one of his conclusions was that if you set out to create a system with the express intent of bringing out the worst in humanity, it would look a lot like an insurance company. Just about everything that his research showed you shouldn't do finds expression in the modern insurance uh, um, business. So for us, yeah, it, it was about you know things that I spoke about, like business model innovation. Um, it was about um, other concepts from behavioral economics, like priming and signaling. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Signaling is about um, indicating to the other side that you're changing the game. Um, so you and I are, are playing a game of chicken in the, on the road. We're driving towards each other at high speed. The, name of, the aim of this ridiculous game is that whoever swerves first loses. Um, and as we're going towards each other at, at a, you know, high recklessly high speed, and we're trying to psych each other out, you see me rip off my steering wheel and throw it out of the window guess who's going to swerve first? <laughs> um, so game theory tells you about the ability to signal to the other side that you've changed the rules of the game. And in our case, what we're doing is something known as a Ulysses contract. So the legend of Ulysses is that there were these sirens, these womanoid uh, um, uh, temptress temptresses, um, and the sailors used to be beguiled by them, and they all thought that they could resist temptation, but they never quite could, and they got killed by these sirens. And um, Ulysses wanted to hear the sirens, and what he did was he tied his hands to the mast of the ship, and he stuck, stuck wax in his ship hands' ears. And what he did by, by that was he didn't trust his future self. He expressly tied his hands in advance, and he's the only person, you know, so legend has it, who could hear the song of the sirens. And, we've and that, that in game theory is known as a, a Ulysses contract. So by us saying we're only going to take those 20%, we're tying our hands. We're not claiming for a second that our moral fiber is any way superior to anybody else in the insurance company, quite in the industry, quite the contrary. 
we think that the problem with insurance is the game, not the players. And that if we all took one step to the right and changed you know, musical chairs, nothing would change. You've got to change the rules of the game and you've got to use signaling to do that. So talking about this 20%, talking about these alternative constructs is very powerful. And this, again, comes back to behavioral economics as well. And then there's other areas where we do this. So, you know, when you make a claim with us, you start off by being reminded of the cause that you had selected, who you will be harming if you claim irresponsibly or embellish your claim um, unreasonably. Um, And that is pretty powerful. Social sciences have taught us this, that if you get reminded of that kind of thing just before doing something, it changes modes of your behavior. And the list goes on and on. But these things really find expression throughout our product, throughout our business model, throughout our technology. Yeah, you know, Daniel, you know, um, I, I, I listen to you, you talk about the way that you're using behavioral economics and behavioral sciences. And, and as I look across the industry, you know, I don't see uh, a, a long-term incumbent carrier that's been using it in the way that you all are doing to, to sort of drive a different customer behavior um, in order to weed out uh, things, as you were talking about from a claims uh, perspective, potentially fraud and, and those sorts of things. You know, um, but you were able to take that and then pair it with the technical elements of, you know, what it takes to drive um, a, a new way of uh, presenting insurance and a new way of putting the needs of the customer first because they're looking for a different type of an experience and not that sort of older experience where you have to call up, uh, you know, a claim center and and so on. You know, with, with you all, you all are leveraging things like AI and as we talked about earlier, machine learning really to help to, to drive the way things are done and to speed it up, you know, to the point where, you know, um, at, at some point uh, over the past year or so, uh, you announced that you were able to settle a claim in, in three minutes uh, or three seconds. So what, what, that's, what that's telling me is that you innovated that part of the claims process uh, uh, in, in a way that uh, other incumbent carriers haven't been able to do. But you've also done, done things like introduced uh, concepts like the live policy or, or zero everything, right? So if you don't mind, just explain to me how technology has really helped you become a leader in innovating this industry. Sure, sure. So look, I, 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 my... I have kind of criticisms of the industry and the business model, but I don't really criticize the incumbents um, because I don't for a second think that I could do any better than them. Um, I really don't. I think that the challenges that they face are are fundamental. Um, it's the classic innovator's dilemma, but whenever you're running large companies that have invested so much in the way they're doing business for the last hundred years, have quarterly targets to hit, have a, a huge book of business to manage, um, dramatic innovation is, is appears reckless. It's like, well, you know, we've got too much at stake, and it drives conservatism, and it it drives behavior patterns that require just maintaining the status quo, and it makes it very hard to then attract the talent needed, and and there's antibodies in the organization that will resist it. And frankly, that's why we created Lemonade as an insurance company, and we didn't just create a bunch of technology to sell to incumbents. Because while it may sound like the harder route to establish everything from scratch, it's actually easier than transforming one of those incumbents. Um, I I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know how to do it because I I think they've got a genuinely difficult, genuinely difficult task. Um, In terms of your question about the technology, zero everything is is a wonderful um, way of of demonstrating how these elements all come together. So deductibles, um, 
behavioral economics has studied deductibles, actually. Um, when people embellish their claims, the most likely number that they're going to embellish their claim by is the size of their deductible. People feel deductibles are unfair. They're not well understood, and people resent them. They say, hey, my $1,000 laptop was stolen. Why am I not getting $1,000? Why are you knocking off $500 for a deductible and then adding $200 in rate hikes and taking off another couple hundred dollars for depreciation on my laptop? You give me $100, I just lost $1,000. Why am I paying premiums every year? Now, some people think of insurance very differently, but that what I just described is a very commonplace perception of insurance, and that just makes people annoyed, and then they feel entitled to embellish their claims to level that playing field. But of course, when you're managing a claims department in a, in a traditional way, you've got huge claims and processing uh, huge costs in processing claims. LAE, loss adjustment expenses in our sector, run around 11%, which means that 11 cents on the dollar is going to the bureaucracy of managing claims. And those small claims, the high frequency, the ones that usually happen but are not high-value claims, those are the ones that insurance companies hate. Those are the ones that they regard as nuisance claims. Um, so they use deductibles, amongst other things, in order to dissuade you from making those claims. So it makes sense. It's a rational decision, but it's certainly not a customer-centric one. As soon as you use AI to pay claims, you actually turn that model on its head. Because we don't use AI. If your house goes up in flames, that's a much more traditional way that we'll assess the damage. But if you lost a laptop, the AI can handle the whole thing from start to finish. And we now pay about a, a third of our claims by that same three-second algorithm. So the, the bot will manage the whole process. And rather than viewing small claims as nuisance claims, our bot actually loves those claims. Those are the claims that our bot can handle all day long with zero LAE and it, within three seconds. So suddenly that reason to, to dissuade you from, from making that claim in the first place doesn't exist for us. So you've used a mixture of technology that changes cost structure and understanding your behavioral economics and you mush that all together and suddenly you can do innovation at the core insurance product level. Bring out different kinds of coverages, different deductibles, no rate hikes, no deductible, no depreciation, full replacement value, and you can make all of that available. But if you didn't have both a, a good understanding of behavioral economics and an AI engine driving that, you couldn't pull that off. Yeah, you know, um, and, and I think uh, I think on, on a lot of the points that you mentioned, I think you're really spot on, Daniel. You know, uh, especially around the innovators dilemma, where where you where you look at the incumbents first and. Uh, and, and you see that, you know, uh, they've been you know, built on top of this technology that's probably calcified in their being. Right. So so it's tough to, to try to undo some of that and then completely uh, layer on top of that a new or different type of a business model, especially if you're a publicly traded company or a mutual company where you're somewhat beholden to uh, the needs, not only of your of your policyholders, but also your shareholders as well. So you have to maintain uh, a, a, a positive combined ratio and, and some level of profitability um, in, in order to make sure that, that you're meeting the needs there. But, you know, um, as, I, as I think about what you all uh, have done, you know, you weren't faced with those same issues uh, that, that in comments would be faced with from an innovation perspective, so much to the point that um, in November, you know, you announced that um, Lemonade sold more than 70,000 policies. Um, and, you know, uh, when, when I think about 70,000 policies, I, I actually think that that's very significant, you know, provided um, on the, the fact that uh, you all 
really just rolled your first policy off of your platforms uh, just over a year ago. I think it was uh, September of 2016. So, so, so number one, I just want to say congratulations on that. I, I think that's huge just in Thank terms you. of being Thank able to reach that level so quickly. You know, so um, and, and what that also tells me is that, um, you know, you're you're really on your way to then being able to hit 100,000 policies and then 500,000 policies and then potentially a million policies over, you know, o- over time. So, you know, uh, as I as I'm thinking about what you guys have did, you know, if you don't mind, just just talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you leverage sort of everything that you pull together to be able to grow as quickly as you did, because I, I know that there's a lot of new players and a lot of other uh, carriers that took a very long time or are still trying to get to that 70,000 policy milestone. So we feel very grateful. I mean, things, the stars have aligned in a very, in a very good way. When we were developing these products, it was tough because you don't really know if consumers are going to be interested in what you have to offer. You can't beta test it. You need to first get your license and then launch it as a real product. You can't fake this. It's got to have a real policy behind it. So we were we were taking some pretty bold bets based on our intuition and our best judgment, uh, but not based on good enough data until we launched. And then we held our breath and saw, you know, will the dog eat the dog food, uh, as they like to say in Silicon Valley. Um, and it was with great um, gratitude that we found that people would and that even though it was a brand new insurance company, people trusted us. Um, now, they're right, and you know we're reinsured, and we're regulated by New York, and there's reasons to trust it, but consumers don't necessarily know that. Um, so seeing consumers bite and say, yeah, this makes sense to us, this is simple, it's a business model that aligns, all of that was, was really gratifying. And, and in retrospect, what I think the drivers of that growth have been, um, and we're seeing continued acceleration, um, was... Uh, really a cocktail of three things that I don't know how to tease apart, but together they they created something that just felt new and different to consumers. Um, One is uh, values. So the fact that people have such a lot of pent-up ill will towards insurance in a way helped us. They wanted a route for the David versus the Goliath. Um, And we give underwriting profits to nonprofits. We're certified B Corp. Um, And I think that for everybody today, but particularly for the younger consumers, um, that's very important. They want companies with whom they feel uh, um, uh, a common um, an, an, an alignment of values. The, the, you know, the, this kind of questionnaire thing, does this brand align with my values, is always important and never more so. So values um, was one piece of the, the, this cocktail. And the second one was value. You know, using technology for for entry level renters insurance, we're able to lower the price of a policy by oftentimes seventy or eighty percent. Um, now that's strange because loss ratios are above fifty percent usually. Um, but what happens at the entry level is that the overheads of selling a policy are so high, the costs and the brokers and 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 the advertising and the Super Bowl, that insurance companies file with regulators artificially high minimums that really become unmoored, dislodged from the ex- expected loss, which usually drives the pricing of insurance. So a renter could be paying seven times their expected loss, whereas somebody further up the socioeconomic spectrum would be paying only two times their expected loss. So what we found was that by cutting out all those costs up front and getting rid of the brokers, replacing it with a bot, and being much more focused in our marketing, we're able for entry-level consumers to have a $5 policy, whereas competitors might charge $25 for equivalent coverage. So that was the second piece. We, the value was dramatic, and it wasn't simply value. What, what 
has actually happened to our surprise and delight is that it's become almost an impulse buy. There's this truism in the industry that insurance is sold, it's not bought. We're finding that people who didn't set out to get insurance, they encounter us, they read about us, they try it out, and before they know it, hey, it only took a few seconds, it only cost five bucks, I'm going to do it. So it kind of becomes an impulse buy. Um, and value and values are, are two pieces of it. The third one is technology. You know, people just are delighted by a cool user experience. And again, expectations are low when it comes to insurance, and that helps us. But if you've played with the app, people just feel delighted by it. And those three together have, have really uh, um, spun off a, a new sense of what insurance can be. People tweet about it. They talk about it in social media. They talk about it over dinner table conversations. Um, in a way that they probably never spoke about insurance before. And, you know, and I've, and I've seen uh, a lot of those discussions play out just in terms of talking about lemonade and social media. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the thoughts are on both sides of the spectrum, you know. Um, uh, but, but I also, you know, sort of liken uh, what, what I'm seeing happening with lemonade and with people actually talking about insurance from, you know, based on what, what you were just saying, uh, to, to what you see how people talk about, you know, the new innovations or the new things that Apple is doing or the new things that mm -hmm. Google and Amazon are doing. Um, but then what that does with companies like Apple, Google, and Amazon is it sets this expectation for continuous innovation that, you know, if it's something that the, the, the consumers aren't, you know, really buying into that it could potentially have some sort of an adverse impact to those organizations. You know, so just, just thinking about uh, the, the concept of continuous innovation, you know, do you think at some point that Lemonade may wind up hitting a critical mass on innovation or, or do you think that, you know, you'll just continue to seek out and find those things that really provide that true value for policyholders? I, I guess I'd say both. At, at some scale and at some point, you start seeing diminishing returns. Um, but for two reasons, I, I think there's uh, we've got a long, long way to go. Um, the first is um, I, I'm blessed with an incredible co-founder, Shai Winninger, who is one of the true product visionaries, period, today, uh, across industries. He's just extraordinary and he he can see and innovate in a way that few people and few industries can and i think it's you know one of our secret weapons uh, but beyond that uh, what we're finding and this comes back to what we said earlier every stone you turn over within insurance uh, gives you opportunity for innovation there has been very little of it there really has so th there's opportunity to innovate at the underlying policy there's in, in opportunity to innovate uh, in distribution there's opportunity to innovate in claims in actuarial models in coverage there's so much that one can do um and this this industry is so vast that i really think that we've got many 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 years ahead of us of rapid innovation Absolutely. You know, so so Daniel, just just thinking uh, uh, about the many years ahead of you in terms of rapid innovation and just in terms of what we're going to see in this industry, you know, uh, what do you fear most about the industry that may impact the potential growth prospects for your company? My fears are very amorphous. Um, there were stages and times in, in the company's um, young life that I, I've had very, very focused concerns. Will we get licensed or will we not? Will we get reinsurance or will we not? Will we get, you know, will customers, you know, will the dog eat the dog food, as I said earlier? And those were existential questions that we had to, to um, overcome. And each time before we had an answer, the outcome could have been binary. It's not that today we don't face existential, excuse me, existential threats. I'm sure we do. But they're a lot more amorphous. They're a lot more ill-defined. So we'll just have to roll with the punches and see how these things developed. We are in somewhat uncharted territories. Um, so at the moment, uh, things are, are going well. We're, we're, 
we're vigilant and we're, we're reasonably focused. So hopefully that will remain the case. No, I, I think that's absolutely um, all right. You know, just so 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 just a couple of of uh, final questions that that I do like to ask. You know, so um, you know, just in terms of the the future for Lemonade, you know, um, are there any thoughts of uh, potentially getting into other arenas besides the the areas that you all provide coverage in? So maybe you know, delving into the commercial space. Our aspirations are broad, both in terms of geography and in terms of product line. So I'm not going to pre-announce any any expansions in, the, in that kind. But yes, you know, we're building a construct and a platform that should allow us to to move into other areas for sure. Um, and in general, the way we kind of think about the challenge in front of us um, is that insurance has built huge companies, you know, the large insurance companies of the world run 100, $150 billion a year, very substantial companies that have been around for ages. Um, Allianz is 128 years old and Aviva is 303 and uh, I forget Liberty Mutual, whatever, all around the world. These are all uh, very, very well established companies. So huge companies that survive for centuries. It's very unusual. And we ask ourselves the question whether a generation from now people will say the same thing whether over the course of the next 20 or 30 years you're going to start seeing that eclipsed. And I'm convinced that it will be eclipsed. I'm not convinced that Lemonade is the one to deliver that, but I am convinced that companies that don't have that legacy, that don't need to carry forward those 100 years of legacy with all the costs that are associated with them, and that are instead built from scratch on a, on a data substrate, on a digital substrate, will have an increasingly and a compoundingly powerful uh, competitive advantage. So when we think about what is our goal, it's to do that, to build the next big insurance company rather than uh, um, something you know very confined to a particular geography or a particular product line. Yeah, you know, uh, so just a, a last question that I, that I always love to ask, you know, just to get your perspective is if, if someone listening to you and I here speak today about Lemonade and about what you do and just about innovation in general, and if they, you know, want to take something back to their desk to do things differently from the status quo, you know, what would you say, what piece of advice would you give that person to be able to innovate or do things differently um, at their desk? levels it's so tough and so tricky and it depends where, where their desk is on what floor and in which company uh, the one thing that I, I might say that has certainly helped us um, is uh, um, the cross-pollination of ideas neither myself nor my co-founder came from insurance and while in many ways that's a disadvantage I think in even more ways that proved to be an advantage it allowed us with a certain naivete to reconsider things that that otherwise we probably would have been trapped in the same kind of uh, uh, same think that that everybody else has. So sometimes bringing people from other industries or other sectors in can can throw things in a new light. In general, our team we try to keep it very multidisciplinary. We've spoken a fair bit about social sciences versus computer sciences, and of course we've got insurance experts as well. Um, and it is um, it's liberating and it's refreshing to have that kind of mix of disciplines. So I guess widening out, don't just get too stuck in, in you know, the, the, the water cooler that you hang around at the moment or the echo chamber that you find yourself in, but try and seek out perspectives and people from radically different industries. Absolutely. You know, so, so Daniel, you know, I do want to say thank you for your time here this, uh, this morning. I really do appreciate the insights that you talked about, um, about Lemonade and then also your thoughts on innovation. You know, if anyone listening to this wanted to learn more about Lemonade or even get in contact with, uh, with your team, you know, how can I get them that information? It couldn't be easier. Lemonade.com. Perfect. Uh, well, Daniel, once again, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. 
Hey, you know, once again, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. Now, you know, I'm really excited about what we're hearing and what we're seeing occur in this industry. And as you know, as a part of what my mission is with this podcast is to bring all of these things to you on a weekly basis through talking through thought leaders like Daniel Schreiber and others. So, you know, don't forget to on whatever platform you're using, click subscribe so you can hear us every week.